Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Hey, good morning, PCC. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the student pastors here on staff, and we're so excited that you're here with us, and we're so excited to be diving into Luke chapter 15 today. And so I want to first invite you, if you have a Bible, please grab one, open it up. If you have the Version Bible app, you're welcome to follow along. We would love for you to be going through this passage with us. But as you're doing that, I want to start and ask you guys a question. If you could spend your time any way that you want, how would you? Like, if you just had an open door of like, this is how I could spend my time, how would you do it? As I thought about this question, as I kind of started wrestling with it, I kind of came to the conclusion that people usually spend their time in one of two ways. Either it's, it's work and priorities. I got to get A, B, and C done before I do anything else. If I'm going to use my time, it's getting the things off of my checklist. Or it's things that we do that bring us joy. Oh, I really love doing this. I enjoy this part of my time. For some of you right now, work has gone crazy and all you're able to do is spend time on work. If you're gonna do anything, you're like, the only thing I can spend my time on right now is work. For parents and families, some of you, your work actually is no longer your job, it's your, uh, your children's school. And now your day is spent, are my kids online? Are they leaving their siblings alone? Are they plugged in and are their tablets set up? Are their headphones working? Like there are so many things that come into your day and in your time Uh, that probably aren't the normal. Or maybe you're still like, I have free time and I want to enjoy it. Maybe you love cooking and you're like, "Ah, I love working with a new type of food. I love engaging with a new type of recipe. I want to learn as much as I can. Maybe you're still like, hey, even in COVID, I'm still trying to meet people and go out and go on dates and see who's out there. And so you're doing a lot of virtual dating. Or maybe uh, even now you're like me and you just realize that disc golf is a thing and it's awesome and that's all you want to do. Yes, I just bought nine discs and I'm very excited about them. Uh, But there's this idea with time that usually we spend it on our priorities or we spend it on things that bring us joy. And today I want to look at a passage where Jesus is talking to some Pharisees and he kind of starts to chip away at that mentality. So if you're with me, would you open up to Luke chapter 15? I'm going to start reading in verse 3. And again, I would love for you to join us as we read through this parable. Jesus says this to the the Pharisees. He says, uh, What shepherd, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So again, I want to ask PCC, if you could spend your time in any way, how would you do it? You see, Jesus is telling this parable to Pharisees and in a culture where being a shepherd is pretty common. And so they all understand that a shepherd's day is continuously laid out of grabbing the sheep, finding them a pasture, finding them food, finding them water, making sure they can rest, bringing them back to their den before the night ends, keeping them safe from the wolves and the enemies out there. And yet in one day and in one moment, this shepherd, uh, his entire priority for his time gets restructured because he loses one sheep. 
He still has 99 to take care of, but he's lost one. And so now he has no idea where this sheep is. He has no idea how long it's going to take to find it. He has no idea where to look. He doesn't know if it's safe. Uh, the shepherd probably has a family. He doesn't know if he's going to make it home in time. He doesn't know if he'll be there to tuck his kids in. But all he knows is that there is one sheep that is lost that needs to be found. And so regardless of how much time it takes, the shepherd goes out and finds him. He finds the sheep and then he brings it back and he is so ecstatic. He is so full of joy that he ends up celebrating with all of his friends. He's like, hey, come and come and have a party with me. I just found my sheep. It's not like he does this every day. It's not like he's coming home like, hey, guys, I lost no sheep. Let's have a party. He's not coming back saying, hey, today was super normal. Let's have a party. No, this man is experiencing joy because he has found what was lost and he has brought it back home. In PCC, to be honest, we live in a culture and in the Bay Area where it is really hard to find time for us to go out and find those who are lost because we have jobs and we have families and we have school and we have friends and we're in a pandemic and I can go on and on and on. And a lot of times we don't want to engage in what is lost because we don't know how long it's going to take to find it. We don't know what the time commitment is. We don't know if it's going to be worth our time. And so we think to ourselves, man, it's a lot better for me to spend my time when I know that I'll get these results after this much time. And the truth is for ministry, we really don't know what that time is. A lot of you might not might know this about me, but um, I showed up to PCC for the first time when I was 16. Uh, I was a student, I was a sophomore, and I got plugged in with the house community. And for three years, man, I was really committed to house. And if you don't know, house is our high school youth group. But I was in no way committed to Jesus. Like, I didn't want any part of him. I didn't want to do with it, but I loved, I loved house. And so I would keep coming back each week and there were leaders in my life who knew that I did not know who Jesus was and they knew I was missing the most important thing. And yet each week they kept coming back and for three years, Paul Phelan, Helen Phelan, Carlos Davides, Jim Breen, Alex Diaz, all these people were consistently in my life trying to help me be found in Christ, but it took three years for them to see the fruit of that labor. So again, PCC, I want to ask, if you could spend your time in any way, how would you do it? Now, young adults, a lot of you are here in the Bay and you're working crazy hours and you see that there are thousands of young adults in the Bay Area. They're moving in in drones. And you might be thinking, man, how do I help lost young adults get found? Well, I want to encourage you, reach out to Luke and the network. Get connected with him. Have him help on Tuesday nights. Reach the young adults in our city. There are so many that we can go after and help find. Seniors, I know right now this time is scary. And for a lot of you, it's dangerous to be out. And you're like, I can't go out and serve. But Peter is still forming together teams to help engage on prayer nights. Uh, Wednesday at noon, we're praying for this city. There are people that just need a phone call to be reminded that they matter. There are people that just need a handwritten letter to be shown that PCC is still caring. Even if you're inside all day, there are ways that we can together go out and rejoice for the lost being found. PCC, my hope is as we go through these parables, as we go through Luke 15, there would be this encouragement and this desire of saying, we want to be a church that rejoices with heaven as we see lost souls, as we see people in the city 
come to know Jesus for the first time. Now, would you take 45 seconds and would you reflect on this question? Good morning, Peninsula Covenant Church. My name is Hannah Nielsen, and I'm the new middle school pastor here at PCC. I'm so excited to be with you here this morning. A little bit of a fun fact about me, so that it feels like, you know, we're getting to know each other. Um, I love movies. Now that sounds really generic, but growing up, my family would always watch movies together in our living room, and one of our favorites was this movie trilogy called The Lord of the Rings. It was amazing. It's got everything, action, adventure, dwarves, elves, wizards, the whole nine. It was incredible. And by the time I was eight, I'd watched all three movies and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. But here's the problem when you're eight years old watching these movies is there's one character that I did not like. Uh, he was a little creepy and let's be honest, I was terrified of him, super scared. I'm still kind of scared of him today. Uh, his name is Gollum and he's kind of this creepy, shady looking character. Um, and it just, I didn't really like him and I wasn't a fan. But the interesting thing about this character, Gollum, is that he is obsessed with the ring of power. So much so that everything he does is based off of this one item. He calls it his precious and he loves it so much and it has this value to him that I just couldn't understand as a kid. Today we're gonna to be looking at a story in the book of Luke that talks about value as well. So if you will turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses eight through 10, we will go through this passage together. Um, as you're turning there, a little bit of context, the Pharisees are giving Jesus a hard time for the people he's choosing to interact with and associate with. So Jesus is telling them why it's important, what he's doing, what he's doing. So if you will join me in verse eight, this is Jesus talking and he says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So in this story, we're seeing that this woman has lost a coin, and back then, a silver coin was worth about a day's wages. And so she's taking the time and the effort to look with it because it's important to her, it has value with her. And I kind of imagine her like looking high and low and moving furniture and digging through cracks and looking for this item that she's lost. It says she even lights a lamp and looks throughout the house in all the dark corners. When she finds it, she's so excited, and she says, yes, I found what I have lost, and she tells everyone she can find, her friends, her neighbors, her family, and says, come with me and rejoice and have this party with me because I found what I have lost. I have found the thing that was valuable to me. And Jesus is explaining that this is a representation of the gospel. 
This is what God does when someone comes back to him, when someone who's, who's sinned and broken says, Jesus, I want to follow you. God, I want to be in relationship with you. They get so excited and they rejoice. See, God values everyone. And Jesus, in his life, in his ministry, he treats everyone as though they have value. If we are seeking to be followers of Christ, if we are seeking to be more and more like Jesus, then why don't we do the same thing that Jesus did? Why don't we treat everyone as though they have value? I have a dollar bill. It's a regular $1 bill, and we know that it's worth a dollar because that's the amount of value that we have ascribed to it. But here's the thing, if I crumple it up and I ruin it, it is still worth a dollar, right? It doesn't lose any of its value. If I um, fold it up and I put it in my pocket, it's still worth a dollar, it hasn't lost any value. Or if it's in the bottom of my backpack and I forget about it, I can't see it, it is still worth a dollar. And I think the same thing goes for people. We know that they have value. So even if they're broken or they feel uh, crumpled up or, or not good inside, they don't lose any of that value. If we can't see them, if they're out of sight, out of mind, it's not like they lose their value. They are still valuable. But are they actually valuable to us? What is it that we actually value? In the scripture, you see that the woman values the coin, right? She goes after it. Jesus values people. I think for us, we value our time. And as followers of Jesus, as followers of Christ, is the mission of the gospel, what Jesus is trying to communicate to the Pharisees, does that have value to you? If it does, then why is it so hard to put in the time and the money and the effort to make it happen? See, you invest in what matters to you, both your time and your effort. What if we actually treated people as though they were valuable? What would it look like to use our time to show someone that they, that they are actually valuable to us? The thing is, during COVID, I think it can be easy for us to feel like we've fallen through the cracks, like we're off the grid. We don't necessarily feel like we're valued. I think this is especially true for our middle schoolers and our high school students. You know, distance learning is not easy. It's really hard. And for students um, at Kennedy and North Star and Roosevelt Middle School and at Sequoia and Woodside and King's Academy for high schoolers, I see you, I feel you, it's hard. And sometimes it really feels like we don't have the value that we know that we should have. There's a disconnection that happens. And this disconnect that teens are feeling can have an impact on their feelings of value. So church, this is an opportunity for us. We have programs going on and we want to partner with you so that you can pour into the lives of students. We wanna partner with you in reinforcing students' values um, so that they know just how valuable they are to us. Because what shows value to students is us helping them understand how loved and accepted and valued they really are. We want to partner with you to become small group leaders, large group leaders, so that students can understand just how valuable they really are. Because here's the thing, when we reach out to others and express how much we value them, by putting our time and our effort into them, we are actually showing the love of God 
and how much he loves and values his people. See, the parable of the lost coin ends with the woman rejoicing. And it symbolizes how God rejoices when he finds us, when he finds his people, when we run back to him, because to him, we are the most valuable. Church, may you join in the kingdom work of God this week in valuing others. Hey, PCC, as we wrap up this part of Luke 15, this trilogy of the parables, this third parable is often one of the better known parables from both a church and a non-church context. It's called the parable son. And I would encourage you to look at it. It's Luke 15, verses 10, all the way to the end of the chapter. And I'm going to synopsis it for you for the sake of our time. But essentially, Jesus tells a story of a parable of a son who goes to a father and asks him for his inheritance. And he, father gives him his inheritance and he spends it or sells it to then spend it on wasteful living. And I want to pause real quick because I want to give you some layers to the context of this. And in this moment, Jesus, again, for all these parables, for the good shepherd, for the lost coin and the prodigal son, he's speaking to a group of Pharisees and scribes who knew the scriptures, who knew the law, who knew the rule that God asked them for from a mental side, from a mind side. But often their heart didn't connect. The heart didn't always reflect the bigger heart of God. And Jesus is using these parables to remind the listeners to remind the audience that the heart of God is always about what he values. Now, you've heard from Jonathan and Hannah about the fact that what we value and what we put our time to is, is critical. And in what we value and put our time to, I want to address, I think, a really key area for our church. Actually, for the church at large. I would say the entire American church. I've got a good friend named Reggie Joyner, and he was speaking to a group of children's workers and youth workers, and he said this quote, there should not be a safer place for a screaming baby, a hormonal kid, or a defiant teenager than the church. And I would add on to that, that that should probably exist for everybody. But in the context of speaking to youth workers and children's workers, there was this, like, quiet in the auditorium. Because if you really think about it, what you value and what you put your time to or attention to, does it really communicate? And I would say in my interaction with a lot of our PCC families, that's what they want. They want a community, a faith community that will walk with their family regardless of what they're going through. Now, when we look at the parable of this son asking for his inheritance, this is actually a shameful act. It's so shameful that the Jewish law created a rule around it. It was called, called the Kazaza rule. And essentially what would happen is a Jewish son that received his inheritance before his father passed away would be shamed by the community because the community in no way would want anything to do with inquiring of that inheritance. 
Because this wasn't a bank account, this would be possessions or land. And so for the son to have money, he would actually have to sell them. And there's no one in that community that would partake in such a shameful act by buying it from the son. So he would have to sell it to an outsider. Now, in this beautiful parable, Jesus being a master storyteller, what he does is he sets up the fact that the son did this. He sold the goods and wasted the money on squanderous living. And he found himself in the spot of being desolate, being hungry, being in need. And the story says that the son actually pre-described this reunion with his father. So he knew of this Kazaza ceremony. He'd be going back shameful to dad because what he tried to do was get a job feeding pigs and it didn't work out. And he's like, I could actually be hired by my father as a hired hand and I could pay off this debt I owe him. So I'm going to head back. And I love what Jesus does. He inserts his little line. He says, while he was a long way off, the father sees him. This describes the heart of God. That when those that are disconnected, that are lost, that are away from what would be a communal place, that God the Father is always looking for him. And Jesus writes into something that's really interesting. It's actually a reflection of both a maternal and paternal act. Because see, the father, when he sees the son a long way off, what does he do? He runs. Now, this is a shameful act for a male in a Middle Eastern community to do. But it wouldn't be shameful if a mother were to do this. It was one of those social norms. But the father models that, hey, I see my son a long way off. I'm watching for him, looking for him, and I'm running towards him. And the reason why? It's because the father was not going to allow anybody in the community to actually enforce Kazaza. See, the father knew that if he beat the son and received him with grace and received him with acceptance and received him with forgiveness, nobody in the community could shame him because the father's heart and the father's voice is what would triumph. And there's a beautiful picture here that in this idea that the father raced towards the son and covered him with kisses and covered him with a robe and brought him into the house, he threw a party, a party that was based on grace. Now, I know some of you are curious about the question that you just were talking about. And my favorite gift from my birthday was a dog. Puppies always make everything better. But in this story, it wasn't a puppy that the kid got. The kid got forgiveness acceptance, reunited with his family. And every shameful act, everything that he had been hanging over his head for as long as the story was set up was removed. And he was the center of the father's affection. And this father, as a representation, just like in the good shepherd, just like in the woman looking for the coin, as a reflection of God, that what God values and what God is willing to spend his time chasing after and looking for and watching for is us, people, humanity, People that may be lost that need to be found. People that know God but need to be reminded of their true value. People that are in a spot of life that go, what is going on in this world? Hashtag 2020. And God is very present here. Church, this is our call. We've got to be excited when lost people are found. We have to have our time and our value reflect that. We have to be willing to say that whether you're a kid or a teen or a young adult or young marrieds or married or empty nesters or retirees or somewhere along the span of the inner generations of who PCC is reflective of, God is for you. And we have a spot for you. And in the day that we've been talking with you about what you value and what your time is, I actually want to remind you of what Jonathan and Hannah said, is there's a spot for you to be committed to who PCC is. And I want to just throw out two more ways that you could say, hey, how can I connect to where PCC is going? And one of them is this. 
Did you know that in our discipleship model of gather, grow, give, and go, the give is not finances primarily, it's first time. And in the giving of a time, 11% of PCC give of their time to serving kids or teen ministries. But do you know the metric that's needed for healthy ministry, for healthy discipleship, for healthy mentorship, for healthy looking at kids and teens in the unique season they're in and going, hey, we see you a long way off and we're for you, is 25%. How do we move that needle, 14%? Did you know right now through adult ministries and missions, through the World Vision Impact and the food and the resources they're giving away, it's not just about that, it's also connecting people with people. Did you know that your family, if you want to live a missional way, could connect with what the local missions are doing and actually literally partner with another family and figure out distance learning together, figure out life together, actually find a way to go, hey, I want to care about someone and be personal with them. And I know right now there's a lot of ramifications around time and who you're around, but do you know a local way to serve is to look at another family and go, hey, we're in this with you. Next week, Gary's going to remind us of who we are as a church and our vision and our values, and we're going to set up for how we can live out the fruit of the Spirit. And in doing so, we want to remind you that we, together, are on mission. As you see at the bottom that ticks up, uh, these are the ways that you can get connected to some serving opportunities. You can contact our family ministry team or you can contact adult ministries and we'll get you connected to some of these ministries that are happening because even in the current status, what you put your time to is going to show what you value. Now with me, will you take just a deep breath? Often in the Psalms, you see this word Selah. And in that deep breath, I want to just focus us on a day of communion. Communion is the sacrament, the sacrament that we participate in that allows us to remind ourselves of the grace that Jonathan, Hannah, and I have been challenging you with today, the same grace that we got to remind ourselves of, that, see, we were once lost because of sin and separated from a holy God, but because of his loving and just mercy. He died a, a, he died a death because of our sin that we could not do. To look at us and go, you're my beloved, you're cherished, you're valuable, you have purpose, you have meaning. And so in participating of communion today, I want to I wanna do two things. I'll just share with you what communion, a posture I take. And there's two words that I often remind myself of. It's confession and acceptance. See, there's a space for us to just confess that, God, we're not perfect. We don't have it right. We have faults. But those are not what define us. That's not our identity. Our identity is in the fact that we're created in your image and that you have something for us and you deeply long to have a transforming relationship with us now and for all eternity. We live out your kingdom here and for all eternity. And there's that reminder of confession is just a pause to say, God, will you show me my heart? Does it really reflect yours? So I just want to pause with you and just give us 30 seconds just to, in an act of either the house church or whether you're with some friends or just your family or by yourself, and just confess to say, Lord, here's where I know I'm wrong. Jesus, I confess to this day that I often think 
that my filter of how I see people is through a lens of they just don't get it or they don't understand and I make them less than what they are. So Jesus, I confess that sometimes I look at people around me and I don't love them the way that you would. So God, convict my heart before that happens next time. And the second part of our time is acceptance. And there's this acceptance that when we partake of communion, we actually accept and receive the grace that Jesus gives us. That when we receive it, we actually allow it to define us. We allow the voice of God's Holy Spirit to say you are loved, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are transformed. You have the very power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you which transforms life and help create earth and resurrected Christ from the dead. That same spirit indwells in you and that same spirit is what will guide you. See, when we partake of communion, we declare that grace is real. And because it's real in us, it can be real in others. So with you, I want to partake of communion. And as we've already confessed, as we break bread and we drink of the cup, may we step into that accepted life. So right now where you're at, I encourage you to eat of Christ's body and drink of that new covenant that reminds you that you are loved. And for some of you, that idea of being loved and forgiven, you may have heard and you may have thought about, but maybe today's a day where you would say, Jesus, I want that. And I just want to lead you in a simple prayer that maybe for the first time you would declare this and you would actually believe it and receive the grace that is extended to you. That you would move from lost to found, as the scripture shared with us today. And I want to give you just a simple prayer. It's not the only thing you need to say, but it's just a place to start. It'd be this, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And you can transform it and redeem it and move in such a way. And we're going to have more conversations, Jesus, but today I start with this. I give you my life. See, the beauty of our heart condition is Jesus sees that. When we step into that, Jesus, I give you my life. It's actually a miraculous thing. As the text shares earlier, that there is a celebration in heaven over those that repent of their sin and say, Jesus, I give you my life. And honestly, if that's you today, we'd love to celebrate with you. We'd love to come alongside you. We'd love to support you. We're thankful you're here and a part of our community, whether you're here in Redwood City or San Carlos or the other side of the U.S. because you moved during this time, but yet you're still calling PCC your home. We're with you. And so church family, as you've heard from us today, here's what we want to remind you of, that you have the grace of Jesus at your fingertips. And you have the voice of the Holy Spirit nudging you. And you have the God, the Father, who will look for you like a lost sheep, who values you like a lost coin, and calls you beloved even as a lost son or daughter. That we stand together as a community going, we declare these truths today to be real. So in our closing time, I'd love to pray for you and us. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you for those that may have said today that Jesus, I give you my life for the first time and you've been nudging them and around them and we as a community want to celebrate with them. We want to celebrate the fact that we can confess our sins and know that we're forgiven.
Jesus, we want to acknowledge the fact that regardless of where we're at in the intergenerational span of who PCC is, we all are community seeking you. So lead and guide us. Thanks for the day that we can celebrate together. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.